Well, good morning. Good morning. Why don't you take a moment as we begin in worship this morning to just stand and greet someone right around you. Give them a handshake. Give them a high five. Ask how they're doing. Well, we'll let you do some more of that a little bit later today after the service. We hope that you take some time to hang out and uh, grab a cup of coffee and um, spend some time getting to know each other or asking one another how, how you're doing after, after the week. Um, we're glad that you're here for worship this morning, and I just have a few announcements for us as we begin. Um, the first one is some friends of ours, Sarah and Nick Limburg, gave birth to a baby boy on Friday. And so this is Sarah and um, their oldest, Jonathan, and their little boy, Samuel Robert, who was born on Friday morning. I realized that when I emailed that picture to Kevin, Nick is not in that picture, but he is a part of their family. He would want you to know. So um, we're just so happy for Nick and Sarah, and um, we'll be in prayer for their family as they bring little Samuel home um, and adjust to life as a family of four. Um, also, as you came to worship this morning, I answered a lot of questions about our Union Gospel Mission Thanksgiving bags. Thank you so much for all the bags that are already out in the lobby, and that is a growing bunch that go and they um, really are a blessing to our community. And so we have done that for so many years and it impacts the community around us as we enter into the season of the holidays. And so out on the table in the lobby, there is a shopping list. And so if you wanna grab that and maybe with your small group or your kids or roommate, you wanna go to the store and bless a family on this Thanksgiving, you're welcome to just drop that off at church and uh, we'll make sure that gets um, connected to a family in need this holiday season. As a part of that shopping list, there is a gift card for a turkey, and so if you would like to either leave that in the bag or hand that off to me, I'll make sure that gets to the right place. I know some were a little concerned about that, so um, I'll let you know about that as well. Um, this morning also, we are launching um, a new recycling effort as a community. Donna Peterson and Austin and um, Martina Hartmark have been working on that. And so you'll notice around um, the church, we have some new bins um, for that effort. There is a handout in your bulletin. And also this morning after the first service, we have um, a friend with us that wants to share some information about recycling, um, whether it's personally in your own home or for our church community, ways that we can be mindful um, of this effort. And so um, I just have a little something to read um, about this morning. We have a great opportunity to learn more about recycling and ask questions with our guest, Kendrick Paulson. Today, he will be in the gallery at 945. Um, Kendrick majored in environmental sustainability and biology at St. Olaf. He has been working um, for five years in the environmental field and the last two and a half have been with the Minnesota Chamber where his focus has been on helping businesses reduce, reuse, and recycle waste as a win for the environment and also the bottom line. Outside work, he enjoys volleyball. You might have watched the match between the Gophers and Nebraska yesterday, and you could have seen him there as a line judge. So feel free after the service to stop by the gallery and uh, get some more information or maybe ask questions about our new efforts um, in the area of recycling. Finally, I just want to invite us, um, as we think about the week ahead this Wednesday, we have an impact night um, for our students and our um, adults in um, the Young Life Center across the street where we're focusing on suicide awareness. Our friend Sam Eaton will be with us speaking on Wednesday night, and we know that you know about this because we have been saying um, and telling you about this the last couple weeks. But we want, what we wanted to do this morning is just to invite us um, to some prayer for the week ahead. Um, we trust that the Holy Spirit is going to work during that time 
We sense as we announce this, this is a tender topic um, for many of our students, many of us. And so we want to um, entrust the Holy Spirit with this night ahead of us. So will you just join me in prayer? God, this morning as we gather in worship, we recognize your love for us. That your love is just not something that is on the surface, but is at the core of the core of the core of who you are as our Father. God, that you see us and know us and care about us is something that is not lost on us, but it's something that often gets clouded by the words of our world, by the images that we um, are confronted with, by our experiences of one another. Unfortunately, our vision of who you are and what you have for us gets lost at times. And Father, in our world, there are so many that deal with issues of anxiety. They deal with depression. We face losses that um, seem unfathomable. And so God, into this evening ahead, we pray your Holy Spirit. God, would your Holy Spirit go before us and create a safe place for us to engage in this topic? Would your Holy Spirit work inside of us to give us confidence and a sense of security in our identity in you so that we could look deep into our hearts and build relationships with those who are right around us? God, would your Holy Spirit come behind us and embolden us to ask difficult questions of one another, of our spiritual health, of our mental health, God, we desire to be a place of freedom. We desire to be a place of a deep identity that is found in you. So God, would you work on this evening, in this evening, to be able to bring that about in our lives and in our community. God, we thank you for this time, and we ask that you go before us. In your precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you stand? And we're going to um, sing hymn number 464, A Mighty Fortress. <laughs> of reading taken from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength in all times and in all places. God has been refuge and strength for those who trust only in him. 
And this is true for us in our days and spaces as well. God is our refuge and strength. We will not fear. Though earthquakes crumble the ground, hurricanes and tornadoes scrape the land, mountains slide into seas, and terrifying waves and floods consume our homes. We will not fear. God is our refuge and strength. The river of life nurtures God's city, his people, because we are the home of his holy presence. He dwells in us, so we cannot be moved from his purposes. The God of all history is our home, our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. When nations and kingdoms fight and fall, rage and kill, when their people trust in weapons and human strength, God's voice melts their efforts like night's frost in the morning sun. What God has done, does, and will do is for all those who trust only in him. God speaks, be still, and know that I am God. You are our mighty fortress. We exalt you, O God. Praise the name of the Lord. Holy, mighty God, loving Father, we have just sung and spoken words praising your name, attesting to the power of who you are, the God of all history, the God who makes change, God who makes things new. Lord, we believe that and we profess that. God, you also know that often we are very weak people. Often we are people full of fear. You know that very well. And you come to meet us in our weakness and fear. God, we believe. And yet at times in our circumstances, it feels as if it is more than we can endure. And it is, Lord, in our humanity and our frailty, it is more than we can endure. And God, you know that. And you love us. And you come to meet us and you, with open arms, 
And that strong, still, small voice saying, Come, be with me. Come to me. Put your trust in me. God, in our minds we profess that, and in our hearts we desire that, and at times we fail to live that. Lord, may we know that it is in our prayers to you if we are truly open and honest, and if we profess to you our struggle. You smile on us, and you come to us, and it is in our vulnerability and our honesty with you that you can breathe your love and life into our living. That each moment we trust in you and you alone, we get a glimpse of a taste of your kingdom come. To the power and the glory of your name, we pray these things. Holy Father, amen. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Jenny. That was lovely. Um, hi. Welcome to Roseville Covenant. I'm Shaz, the worship pastor here. You are joining us on a special day. We're starting a new series in the book of James. It's called Inside Out. And... Um, as we start the song, uh, we're getting ready to play. I'm going to encourage you to just to stay seated for a bit. I'll, I'll get you to stand later. You guys have been standing for a bit. But uh, we've sung the song many times, and uh, as Mark's going to come and share later, uh, we're really unpacking a difficult time um, in our, our, uh, our Christian believers' um, life. They're just facing persecution and trouble, and the book of James really looks at, at some of that, like when we're, when we've, we're facing an unexpected diagnosis or... Um, a, a great need or grieving. Um, we're in that time of testing. Um, we're really going to hear about um, some, give us some, give us some tools to, to lean into the Lord, to trust him and to, to see, be on the other side and persevere. So this first song is called God of Justice. Or no, just kidding. God, I look to you. Another God song. God, I look to you. And when, you, or when you're feeling overwhelmed by life around you, it's saying, Lord, give me your perspective. Give me your eyes to see. Help me not to be overwhelmed.
take the offering just go over a few things with you encourage you to give this month to benevolence all our benevolence dollars goes to Minnehaha Academy and uh, we know that that's a special place to us in our church we have people here who work there teach there and it's been a long-standing number of our students have gone to Minnehaha Academy so uh, all month you can designate for benevolence Minnehaha 
sharing together, let me just give you just a brief update. Wouldn't it be great at the end of 2019, let me just set a goal for us. 2019, we, we have all the furnaces paid for. Close to maybe halfway there. We got all those furnaces, 18 furnaces paid for. We also see out in our area out there a, a gardens, places that we can share time together. Gardens with a fence around so that we can experience time together and our community sees that this is a place they can come and we share life together. Wouldn't it be great to have a sign? Wouldn't it be great to have a big cross that shows that this is a church? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great to accomplish those things by 2019? And again, I encourage you to keep giving faithfully. We just kind of roll out the projects. We have beautiful carpet here. And wouldn't it be great to, another one is to get new carpet in the entryways. That's 20 years of carpeting. And now that you see this beautiful carpet and you walk out there and you go, oh, Lord, we've got to make that more inviting, don't we? So that might be another project we consider. But I want to say that we just keep rolling these out as God's people respond. We don't do anything until the resources are there. But when they are, we'll respond. And uh, also we want that mission project too uh, in Colombia. We want to finish that project as well. So just kind of th I throw that out to you. Wouldn't that be great in 2019 if those things were all finished in our spiritual family, in our spiritual home here? I encourage you as you give this morning to pick it up. As you see in the bulletin, every year it seems like you get around this time we say, we've got to pick it up. We go into November and then we get this December that puts us back in, in, uh, in, in the right place we need to be financially. But let's recognize that we want to keep giving faithfully all the way along. You've been so faithful. And I don't always want to hold my breath until December that God's going to provide for this uh, spiritual family. So I just encourage you, if this time, as you, we move towards those important months of December, November, that you give faithfully. And as we give, you know, we're going to sing a, a great hymn day by day. And it sure fits our theme as we look into the book of James. One of my colleagues, it was all his favorite song, and, and he lived that out in his life. Day by day, in the passing moments, strength I find in God. So let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your provision for this place over the years. Father, you have been so faithful. Faithful in the resources needed. You've been faithful in our lives. You've been faithful to the spiritual community. And Father, we trust you this day. And we trust you in the future. Use these resources to profoundly touch lives for the cause of Christ. Amen.
Good morning. This morning's scripture is from James 1, 1 through 18. It's a letter from James to the 12 tribes. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then... After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of the truth, that we might be a kind of first fruit of all he created. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we, as we hear those words, we recognize, Father, it's given to people who are experiencing difficult circumstances in life. Father, in the midst of circumstances like that, we need to see things through your perspective, through your eyes. The rich promises, the hope, the resources we have when we face life's trials, life's difficulties. Father, we need your spirit to help us, to enlighten us, to give us hope. Amen. Just want to remind you this morning that we gather as a church to help each other be wholehearted followers of Jesus. When we receive the grace of, of, of God through Christ, and it's, a, it's an incredible gift, a gift of God's grace that re rescues us, fallen people. We recognize we sign on with Jesus. And we sign on with Jesus, we sign on a life that is in tune with him and follows him. And if we look at the life of Christ, we realize that that's not necessarily always going to be easy life. In fact, he does not promise us that you follow me and everything is going to be blissful and wonderful. That's the religions, re ancient religions, the only reason that you would uh, worship a particular god or deity is so that the, you can leverage them so that they make things good for you. And following Jesus is not a life about what is good for me. So when we're wholehearted followers of Jesus, James speaks into this issue. We're also an intergenerational Christian community on a mission. That's who we are at Roseville Covenant. The book of James addresses one of the central issues of that statement is how we relate to each other in Christian community. In Christian community. This is a book about Christian community and how we function together. We've addressed the book by giving it a title, Inside Out. And that's critically important as we approach this book, that the, the dynamic of the book, the emphasis of the book is this internal dynamic What's going on in here and how it impacts the world we live in? 
Jesus was commenting on the issue of where does evil come from? Where's the origin, not ultimate origin, but in our lives? And he says, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, theft, false testimony, and slander. Those are things from the Ten Commandments. And he says it comes from the heart. It comes from internally and a heart that's evil, and then it finds its expression in external behaviors in the way we live. Christianity is an inside-out, internal, then external faith. We're going through the Immerse series, going through the Old Testament, and we're at the place where so about Saul and David's life. And one of the things that's so powerful is you have a contrast between Saul and David, and the difference, the basic difference, because David did things far worse than Saul did, in a sense. But it's said of David that he was a man after God's own heart. Here was a man that the inside of his heart, in his inner being, he loved God so deeply and so, uh, so much, and we see that playing out on the pages of the Psalms. In the book of Jeremiah, which defines the new covenant that's fulfilled in our, our Savior Jesus, it says, the believers will be my people, and I will write my laws upon their hearts. You see, it all starts internally. And James is about the, the inner motivation of our hearts as it works out in Christian community. The centerpiece of our Christian worldview is the gospel, and at the core of the gospel is repentance. Repentance is a heart change an internal change in relationship to God wrought by the Holy Spirit. This is a book about Christian community. It has application for society at large, but it isn't framed in a worldview for society at large. And I want to say that's very, very important. You'll be able to pick up some of the principles as we look at the subjects and say, boy, I wish the society would only grab a hold of that one. How we talk to each other, how we live with each other. But this book only makes sense in Christian community. Let me give you an example. I work with a group of people who try to find homes for homeless people. It's very extremely difficult. It's very frustrating and hard work. And a lot of times you look at this and say, I, I have no answers for the, where, you sit, where you are. And just say to them, consider it joy. Just why don't you consider it joy in the circumstance you're in? Empty set, folks. They want a home. They want a place to live. But for the Christian, the believer who finds themselves in tough situations, and we say, consider it joy when you encounter various trials, all of a sudden this takes on incredible meaning to us as the people of faith. Because the worldview of the people of faith in many ways is different than the cultural worldview and the society we live in. We do have intersection, we'll see in this book. But it's primarily, in my application, is to Christian community. You can make your application to society at large. The author of James is probably the half-brother of Jesus, who was a key leader in the book of Acts. We see this in chapter 15, where he had a dominant place in the early church. You see, James gave his life to serve his half-brother Jesus. He gave his life. For Josephus states that James was stoned, the great... Ancient historian Eusebius said he was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and beaten to death with a club. Either way, James knew what it meant to follow Jesus and give his life, and it was literally his life. The historical setting of this book is all is so all-encompassing and all-important. I'll never forget years ago when one of my colleagues at college said, Mark, you understand the setting of this book. You understand the meaning of this book. Some books, the setting isn't as important. This one, the setting is absolutely huge. Focusing in on tough times. And tough times, folks, in this book, in the backdrop, places where we land, we might never get better. How do we handle things and land as a people of faith when we know that things might not get better? In fact, things might get worse. How do we respond in those situations? In the book of Acts, we see the explosion of the growth of the church. It grew in the midst of political turbulence. The church experienced persecution, hardships, and the Jerusalem church experienced poverty. Jerusalem was the mother church, we know, the birthplace of Christianity. The leadership, under the leadership of the apostles, the elders, the mother of Jesus, Mary. It provided an enormous amount of security for those believers. Can you imagine being part of that church? A tight community, family ties, deep care, as we see in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. But Jesus, in his Olivet Discourse, in one of his great sermons, predicted very difficult times for the church. 
He said it's going to be difficult. He made it very clear to them. They were to, in a sense, scatter. You be my witness and you scatter. Just like in the Old Testament, after they got off the ark, he said, you go spread out, you got to co-manage the earth. What'd they do? They huddled together and built a tower. And here we have them huddling in the mother church and, and God's purpose for, for, is that the gospel, the good news, would, be, would go all over the known world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. And this played out in the book of Acts. Chapter 8 and chapter 11, we see severe famine in Jerusalem as well as constant antagonism by the religious authorities and even the government officials. After Stephen's martyrdom, great persecution broke out in the church. Many, many believers left Jerusalem. Just imagine what it would be like if you lived in Jerusalem in, in family ties and, a, and you had a spiritual community there, and it's a wonderful spiritual community, wonderful care. And imagine that you became a persecuted religious refugee when you had to leave your place of belonging. Just imagine for that. Just imagine today for those Syrian Christians who, under great persecution, had to leave their families, their homes, and their well-being. Just think about that. How would you like to lose your community? How would you like to lose your fracture within your family? How would you lose your job, your vocation? And then you leave this place to other places that you don't know the bounds and you don't know the rules of how things operate. And you go into churches that are predominantly, many of them Gentiles, not even Jewish. And you have no place when you come into that church as you enter into that spiritual community. They suffered terribly in these new settings. They suffered terribly. Now I want you to understand, this is people in dire circumstances that James is writing this book to. He writes to the haves. He writes to the have-nots in this book. How in community do we as haves, you say, my life's going great, things are going along good. This book speaks deeply to you, but it also speaks to those whose life is really turned upside down. James is concerned about the well-being of these Jerusalem, these Jewish believers who are scattered abroad. He writes a wonderful pastoral letter to these Christians who are in dire straits and, all, and to those, again, who are doing quite well. But folks, I want you to understand that this is a play, this is a message to a believers who were really in tough straits. How does he encourage them? It's one of the earliest writings, James, that we find in our sacred text. How do we relate to each other and achieve a measure of unity with such diversity of the churches that they experienced in the book of Acts? Chapter 1 is a very, very important foundational chapter, and this morning I'm just going to be more theoretical to you because once you understand chapter 1, it gives you the basis to be able to unfold all the other subjects of the book. But chapter 1 is not just random samples. Some people say this book is like the book of Proverbs of the Old Testament, you know, where it's just kind of random subjects. Not at all. These subjects are deeply linked together, particularly in chapter 1 when he says to, to people handling tough situations, consider it joy when you encounter these things. Get some started with that term, just imagine. Consider it joy in the circumstances that they're facing. He then goes on and, and he talks about how to, in this book, in this book, beyond chapter one, treating people with dignity. Don't show favoritism to people. How do you treat people with equal dignity in the body of Christ? In this book of James. One of my new emerging great movies I like is The Greatest Showman. Oh, I watch it with my grandkids. I'll probably watch that as many times as I watch my favorite one, Hildago, which is over 20 times. But The Greatest Showman talks about, in that movie, it talks about at the one time the, the reporter says, well, maybe this is what you're doing in this great show. It shows the blending of humanity together. And certainly in the body of Christ, he wants us to treat people with not show favoritism. Genuinely care about each other. Not just talk about actions in the body of Christ, the haves versus the have-nots, but how do we care for one another? How do we speak the truth and love in this book? The tongue is a fire. And how do we choose the path of wisdom? But James chapter 1 sets the mindset. There's linkage. Various trials and difficult times, a perspective of joy. And in those times when we face difficult circumstances in life, we know we need more than anything else. We need God's wisdom. You turn to chapter 1 and you see the linkage here. 
What you need is the wisdom of God because we'll see in tough circumstances that sometimes the last thing we look for is the wisdom of God. We also we realize that he's a message to conflicted groups. And he talks about being rich and the poor, and he talks about find where we find our worth and value and our wealth. And we'll see how that links together in this book. But then he goes on to say, blessed are you when you uh, persevere under the trials because you will experience the wonder of the crown of life. We sang a song about heaven and day by day. And then we, and when you go through difficult times, sometimes we shake our fist at God and say it's your fault. And we're tempted to do that. We're tempted to say it's God's fault and we're tempted to give up. And we give up. We are in the midst of the most difficult circumstances because temptations become so real and so difficult in our lives. So from chapter 1, just for a moment here, all I have, handling tough situations. You focus on your situation today or somebody you know. We consider it pure joy. <laughs> He's talking about those external circumstances of life that bear into our lives and our souls. In society, all we seem to say is suck it up. We're happy when we escape difficulties to avoid them at all costs to try to get around them. But not James, because he's dealing with believers. A different approach, a different response. It's not the normal response. Sometimes it's the last response we have. When certain circumstances occur, we get angry. We get so frustrated. And James directs our attention to a healthier alternative, genuine joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy is a deep inner sense of peace that only comes from God <clears throat> by the Holy Spirit as he works in our hearts. Don't pretend to be happy. Nobody's happy when you face those gut-wrenching situations. Persecution, difficult moral choices, a tragedy. J.B. Phillips says, when trials come, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends, not because of the difficulty of what we face, but because of what it does in us. Difficulties and trials are inevitable because of the fall of humanity. Junk happens, human tragedies. Sometimes it's a result of bad choices. Sometimes it's the guiding disciplinary hand of God in Hebrews 12. Whatever the source, which often we can't determine, there's a Christian response. Not joyful anticipation for trials, but inner joy during the trials. The deep inner joy and peace. Because, because, folks, this helps us become followers of Jesus. It becomes mature, battle-tested, learned from our experiences, learned from our failures, fully trained, complete, face the issues head-on, passing the test, competent in life, believing that God is still faithful. And our life becomes characterized by trust and obedience, even in the midst of it. Folks, have you experienced that inner joy? Even in the midst of the most excruciating experiences, it makes no sense and it defies all human reality. But he says, first and foremost, when we face all this stuff, we're going to see we have to realize inner joy. Again, at those times, we need wisdom. We panic, don't we? We go through tough situations. We hear about a, uh, a, a terrible illness, whatever it is. We all have experiences. And we, and we panic. But the first response, he says, please, turn to me. We pour out our deep feelings to him because he can handle it. We consult the richness of Scripture, the richness of Scripture as we look at the book of Job that we're teaching through. We pour out our hearts to fellow believers that God brings into our lives. And the source of wisdom of God, he says, it's readily available. Turn our focus in times of great difficulty to our God. Boldly approach him. Boldly, straightforward with God. And he wants us to understand in situations like that, instead of turning to the wisdom of God, often we turn to the external circumstances. We might look to say, well, I'm going to live my life surrounded by the things I have, and the riches will help me provide the security I need. And he says, you're looking at a wrong place because that is very fleeting and will fade away. He says, stay strong under trials. He also says in verse 12, blessed when you persevere. The test, the test of life. You see, folks, this isn't all there is. This is all there is. It's not. It's a Jewish expression, the crown of life, of hope, abundance, joyful, victorious. 
ultimately it's in God's presence. I can't tell you how many people I'm relating to in their lives right now where heaven is really, really important to them because they're close to facing it. This is not some vague notion out there. We want to complete the test. He says, stay strong under trials. Keep going, persevere, because we have a crown of life. We have something that we can grab a hold of for all eternity to those, it says, who love him dearly. So we stay strong. We focus on our eternal home. And finally, we need God's perspective. You know, when we go through tough times, sometimes it gets so excruciating, we just want to give up. We just want to give up. We just want to give up. Give in to our impulses from within. It's God's fault for sending this temptation in my life. Let's blame him for it. Where is he when I need him? It's God's fault. Study of Job. But he wants us to know in chapter 17, verse 17, that God is good. Even in the midst of what we face, we have a good God. He's good. We don't give up and give in to various temptations. We don't let down our guard. We don't give false hopes. We don't give in to riches and thinking that's the answer to problems. It doesn't matter anymore the way I live, so I might as well just cut loose. God protects, he works with us in the midst of what we face, helps us to find a way through the temptations, but they don't come from the hand of God. And when we give in, we don't, we let sin control us. Because it's not worth it anymore. It's not worth it anymore. We open ourselves up to all kinds of temptations of sin, which we'll see as we go through this book. And there's a pattern of sin, folks. We are enticed. We are enticed. Maybe in the case of wealth as an answer, an alternative to God and his ways. We look to other sources to find answers. And so we give in to those lusts, and that's where sin really is birthed. And folks, anytime sin becomes birthed in us, it always moves us towards death, not life. Death, not life. So as we consider this great book of James, I was so excited to spend some time in this book. In chapter one, he gives us the foundation. There is an inner sense of God's presence in the midst of horrible, agonizing situations. And we thrust ourselves upon the wisdom and the mercy and grace of God. We stay strong. We stay strong because we recognize this is a long-term journey with a great destination. We need God's heart and his perspective so we don't let sin control us. We need his view of life, and he is good. He is good. He is good. Please stand as we sing a song that illustrates the importance of this. Be still, my soul. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on our side. What a great, great song of the faith. Be still, my soul.
that song have a great feel to it? <laughs> you know, the older I get, the more that becomes so significant to me to realize the, the promise of an eternal home. And none of us have any guarantees when that will come, as we know. Colleen, you want to be here to pray with people, don't you? Maybe some people are facing some difficult circumstances and you just need somebody to pour your soul out to. And, you know, that's the way God works, isn't it? He often works through his people. And so Colleen will be over here if you want somebody just to pray with. We pray with you anytime. But we designate. She's going to be over there, okay? Let's close in prayer. Father, there's a lot of counterfeit things that are out there that purport to give us the kind of hope that we need. Father, help us to reject any kind of counterfeits that are there because they will be insufficient. Father, you're the real deal. Father, your son is the real deal. And Father, it's because of him that we have hope now and for all time. Brand that in our hearts as we go out this week to be your people. And Father, as we work to be a true community of faith that deeply cares for one another and deeply processes this life, this Christian experience together, help us, Father, by your Spirit. Amen. We're dismissed. Thank you.